Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming to you from Los Angeles, where I am all the way across the country from the biggest story in the NBA right now, which is the improbable 13-game winning streak for the Boston Celtics, uh, which was extended on Tuesday night with a victory over the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. Uh, at the game was Adam Himmelsbach from the Boston Globe, uh, my good friend who's covered the Celtics for a few years and is terrific. And so I wanted to talk to him about the the state of the Celtics, this crazy run they're on, and everything that's going on with the team ahead of Thursday's showdown with the Golden State Warriors in Boston uh, to the top team in the East right now against the top team in the West. Should be a, a thrilling game. Adam will be there. So we talked about the, the win streak. We talked about how the Celtics got here. We talked about how this is sustaining itself. We talked about the Warriors game. He even talked a little about Draymond Green talk, uh, talking at Harvard on Thursday. Uh, it was a fun conversation. Adam's great. So I think you guys will enjoy it. But with that, let me get to my conversation with Adam Himmelsbach about the Celtics. All right, Adam, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Late uh, Tuesday night from Brooklyn after the 13th straight win for the Celtics. Uh, what what has been uh, the biggest surprise to you about this run they've been on, other than the obvious fact that I don't think anybody expected them to win 13 games in a row? Yeah, I mean, there's like a million surprises, really. The biggest of all is, is the most obvious one, that Gordon Hayward, like one of the 25 best players in the world, got hurt in you know the first game <laughs> and then they lost the next one and we're pretty close to losing to the Sixers in the third one and people are talking like somewhat jokingly but like oh like what if they just like tank this year like I take that back not somewhat jokingly 100% jokingly right but but people were like this 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 season could go bad you know and then all of a sudden they come back and win that Sixers game after being down in the second half and they have not lost since then and they've got, gathered some like impressive wins during the streak too they're not just beating up on bot, bottom feeders and if the weird thing is talking to people about it is like you would assume like oh Kyrie must be just blitzing people so then win 13 games in a row like with no Gordon Hayward but really like he's played well but he hasn't really had like spectacular games like most of his numbers are, are down a little bit from last year he hasn't had a game where you're just like wow like he completely took over and you know scored 40 and 10 assists and did everything you want um, he's just playing consistently well, but they're still winning. Yeah, to me, the the most stunning thing about them is the fact that, like, I was just looking at their stats before we started, and and even after tonight's win, they're they're nineteenth in offense, which you you would have assumed if the Celtics were gonna be a good team, especially without Hayward, it was gonna be because their offense was good, like you said, with Kyrie scoring a lot of points. But their defense is still the best in the league. A ridiculous. 95.7 points allowed per 100 possessions, which is the best in the league by a solid three points, I think. I'm checking right now. Yeah, uh, 95.8. Uh, next is the Thunder at 98.5. They're one of four yeah, teams under 100. Yeah, just an absurd uh, gap between the two yeah, teams. Yeah, I looked the other completely day. absurd. It's gone a up a little bit. I think it was at 94.9, I want to say, but it was two games ago, and I just looked for some historical perspective. At that point, no no team had 94.9 since like the 03-04 Pistons. And, right, back and I think in the, the Pacers nobody, in that year. Back in the days when like nobody, nobody shot scored. threes. Right, like, nobody yeah. shot threes, nobody <laughs> scored. The games were awful. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the, like, the most remarkable part about this is that I, I know coming into the season, like the probably the biggest question everybody had was going to be about 
were the Celtics going to be able to defend anybody? I mean, they didn't really have any bigs. They traded for Kyrie Irving, who wasn't exactly an upgrade over Isaiah Thomas. They'd lost Avery Bradley. They'd lost Jay Crowder. Um, you know, they were going to start Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So, like, what what has allowed them, in your eyes, to, to allow to what has allowed them to be so good on defense, even if it is likely that they're not going to, you know, be this good or even really close to this good all season? Like, what's allowed them to be so good at that end early on, which is really why they've been able to get off on this great streak here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, there'll probably be some drop off, but I, if I had to guess right now, I think they're gonna they would finish the season with the best defense in the NBA. Just watching them, you know, barring more crazy injuries, just watching them, they're just so in such lockstep together. There's again, there's a lot of factors, and again, when, when you have a team doing this, there's going to be a lot of players. You're not going to point to one, but the two that have stunned me, and I think a lot of other people, is Daniel Tice. Um, a lot of people who are listening to this probably don't know him. Like, if you're not a Celtics fan, you wouldn't really have any idea who he was. He was actually in in summer league with the Wizards like three years ago, randomly, and then been playing in Germany for three years. When they agreed to sign him, like most of us Celtics writers were like thinking, this is like early in like June. Um, they were thinking like, oh, this guy probably just going to fight to make the roster. He'll probably just be like a camp guy, you know, a partial. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can tell people that I, when he agreed to sign with the Celtics, I literally had no idea who he was. Yeah, and you're a national NBA right? <laughs> like, and he's been, he's been great. Like, he comes off the bench, and he's kind of like this, like, Birdman type dude. Like, he's got really, really long arms and great length, and he contests at the rim. And then there's Aaron Baines, who people will be a little more familiar with because of his time with the Spurs, but he's right. never played more than like 15 minutes a game during his NBA career. And he's been like this rock in the middle for them. Again, like verticality, like, you know, giving them this like muscle and presence down low they, they haven't really had and just buying into their system. And then, of course, players like Al Horford have always been great defenders. You're putting other good defenders around him, and it's just really working. And the thing Brad Stevens keeps pointing to when people ask him, because he's asked that question a lot now, like, why is your defense good, <laughs> is that their length. He always, he always points to their length. He's like, look, we might not have, like, the biggest guys or even, like, necessarily the most athletic. He's like, but we're, we're really long. And they do. They, threw, they throw all these, like, six-foot-seven versatile guys out there who can switch on everything, and that's kind of, like, the new NBA. And they're one of the first teams, like – one of the only teams really in the NBA who's like doing that as, as consistently or can do that as consistently as they can. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is the one thing that really stands out about them, right? Like you look at their starting lineup, they've got, you know, they're, they're starting Tatum who's six, eight, Jalen Brown, who's six, seven. Uh, you know, they've, they've got Al Horford and Bain starting. They're both six, 10. They, they have Marcus Morris and Tice come off the bench. They're both six, nine. They're playing Sammy Ojale. He's six, seven. They're, you know, Marcus Smart is, a super athletic guy who's six four, uh, you know, real physical guy. Kyrie, you know, has got decent length, even though he's small. Terry Rozier is a, you know, an active guy. Like they do, just have a lot of length, and 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 that can that can do a lot on defense. So just be able to get in passing lanes and just kind of make it tougher for teams. And then if you've got a coach that is able to, you know, get guys in the right spot on top of that, you know, that is a decent combination. But and still, even with that, though, I, I can't I personally can't believe that they are this good on defense. I, I thought that the losses of, you know, Crowder and Bradley were going to be tough. And I thought, frankly, that having to play, you know, a 20 year old Jalen Brown and a 19 year old Jason Tatum <clears throat> were going to be bigger issues for them. And frankly, both of those guys so far have been terrific and, and I think have far exceeded what even probably the most optimistic people could have thought coming into the season. Yeah, especially Tatum, like. 
Jalen's played really well. We, we got a glimpse of him, of course, last year, and he showed his potential. And he's still showing his potential. He's had some great games. But, like, Jason Tatum, I mean, he's 19 years old. And the consistency he shows offensively and defensively, like, literally every night is just absolutely incredible to me. Uh, he He's so kind of mild-mannered on the court. He, he's really expressionless. But he's so focused, so poised. He's always in the right place. He hits huge shots. Like, he looks like a veteran. He looks like a guy who's played in the NBA for four years. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, I think, you know, the one thing I think about him at this point is that, you know, he's shooting like 48% from three. I think, you know, once that starts to go down, his, you know, he's probably going to see his, you know, his efficiency drop and his points per game are going to, I think, drop kind of precipitously. But that that still doesn't change the fact that he remains a a long six eight guy who's taking most of his shots at the rim and from three you know instead of like what I think a lot of people thought coming into the league that he's going to be more of like a guy who shot from fifteen to twenty feet so he's become this guy who's a efficient um, you know efficient kind of modern NBA player and and like you said with the way the Celtics are playing he has really done a nice job of even though he's you know not going to be 20 until March kind of perfectly sliding into what they need and, and looking like a guy who's been in the league for a long time, which for a guy, you know, even in what looks like it's going to be a pretty good rookie class to say that about a guy who is 19 and starting on a team that still has designs on being a really good team is a pretty stunning development, even for, you know, even when the Celtics obviously took a big risk to trade down and draft him, you know, in the draft, it certainly looks right now like that was a pretty good risk for them to take. You know, it's wild is even, like the evolution of him in 15 games, the first few games I don't have in front of me. I think he was like one for nine from three. Yep. And he was passing up threes and Brad Stevens had to get on him about it. He was passing him up to take like more mid range. And Brad had to be like, look, when you're open for three, we want you to take it. Like anytime, I don't get the situation. Anytime you're open for three, you're shooting it. And I think even hearing that gave him like a little more confidence. He's kind of settled into the corners. He's been unbelievable from the corners, which is obviously a little bit of a shorter three. Um, But then all of a sudden he just like, after that, like, didn't miss again. Like, I don't, he's shooting, like you said, he's shooting, I think, 48, 49%. And that's with a one for nine start after 15 games. Um, and the crazy thing is, like, when he came here, you say, oh, like, the thing about going to the Celtics is you're not going to learn, you're not going to grow because they have so many, like, stars ahead of you already. Of course, the trade cleared some players out of the way for that, the trade for Kyrie. But it's wild that to me that he's playing over 30 minutes a game. Like, nobody would have guessed that Jason Tatum would come in as a rookie and play 30-plus minutes a game for the Celtics. No, that, I mean, it, that, it's, it's it, you know, not at all, right? Like, even, you know, when he, like you said, when he got drafted, you saw Jay Crowder there. You, you still potentially, you know, they, they had moved on even from Avery Bradley at that point. But, you know, they still had, you know, it was still pretty obvious they were going to start Crowder and, and uh and they moved on from Bradley and, Hayward, right. and, and, and brought then, in Marcus Morris for right, Bradley. Right, exactly. That was right. That was that was what I was trying to think of. Right. So you you come into the the season and you you think all right, you've got Isaiah back and then you've got Gordon Hayward and Jay Crowder and Marcus Morris and Al Horford and there's your starting yeah. lineup. And then okay, he'll play some minutes off the bench and kind of fill in, but then you you know, you end up trading Isaiah and and Jay Crowder for um for Kyrie. You have Marcus Morris, you know, between an injury and his assault trial, basically gone for all of camp. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, a 20 year old playing 32 minutes and a 19 year old playing 30 minutes. And this team has won 13 games in a row. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, and, and their best player, incredible. I think, is, is out for the season after 
breaking his leg and his foot. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it is pretty incredible to just see how this has all come together. And you even, I, I, I saw you tweeted the other day that in talking to people around the league, you know, the, the answer has kind of unequivocally been that Brad Stevens is really the, um, the reason behind all of what's going on in Boston. I mean, not that anybody needs to be told that Stevens is a, a great coach, but um, what, I guess what has his reaction been to the way this has gone? Cause I know that he, you know, back in the preseason, I know there was concerns on his part that this was a group that had so many new pieces. It was going to need time to, to gel. And they, they left for camp kind of last minute. And um, you know, it, it seemed like, the, like in his mind, there was going to need to be understandably an adjustment period. And that was before uh, Gordon Hayward got hurt. So, so was, has he been, has he been as surprised as everybody else at kind of how immediately this has come together for them? Yeah, you know, with Brad, he'll never really say like he'll never use the word that surprises right, me. Right, um, right. And, and he's also always very future focused. Like in his mind, yeah, they're thirteen and two, but they're you know they could have easily lost a few of these games. We should point out they're not like sure. thirteen and like they could have easily lost the Raptors if Demar Derozan's shot goes in the other day. They could have lost the Hornets if Kemba Walker's shot goes in. Like they've had, and Brad mentions that. But I think in his mind, they're always a couple of bounces away from being on like a four game losing streak. So he's always leery <laughs> of. Uh, kind of worrying about it. But a wild thing is what you're talking about, Tim, with uh, kind of building cohesion and building this chemistry with all these new guys, because partly because of the schedule, partly because of the injuries they've had, and partly because of, you know, travel and all that, they have their last full team practice. Like, of course, they've had some walkthroughs, but their last full team practice was on October 23rd. So it was 20, I don't know, 23, 24 days ago. They haven't practiced that entire <laughs> no. time? They haven't had one practice. I'm not even kidding. They've wow. had some walkthroughs and shoot arounds, um, but they have not had a full practice in 24 days. They're scheduled to have one on Wednesday before the Warriors game. Although there's been many times during this stretch where they've had one scheduled and then they canceled it. So it, it may be canceled. I, I actually just texted their PR director at like one in the morning being like, Hey, so any cancellation, <laughs> like I literally, no, normally I wouldn't do it just be on the schedule, but they've done it like several times. So it's, it's pretty wild to us that, you know, in this team that had to build brought brought four players back from last season, had this injury to Gordon Hayward and everything like that, that they're winning 13 games despite also not practicing together. Yeah. I mean, that, that is incredible. I didn't even realize that, um, that, you know, that, that is, that is pretty remarkable to not have practiced in all this time. Uh, you, you mentioned that Kyrie, uh, has kind of, you know, has been good, but not, you know, really incredible during the streak, which, you know, I think would surprise people, but it's true. Like you look at his num, I'm looking at his numbers now, and I hadn't really studied them. He's only averaging 20 points a game and five assists. He's shooting 44. percent He's shooting 32 percent from three. Um, you know, none of the numbers really blow off the page. It's just a turnover spine, but not great. Um, you know, what what have you seen from him so far in the first few weeks? As he's obviously himself going through a pretty massive transition to a new team and a new environment and a new role as kind of the undisputed face of a franchise after being, you know, kind of a second in command to LeBron the last several years. Yeah. You almost get the sense in certain stretches that he's been like feeling these guys out a little bit, um, being very aware of not wanting to come in here and take 25 shots a game. Uh, you know, getting these teammates to trust him. Uh, like Terry Rozier said after the game the other day, like we had to adjust to Kyrie. He's our star. And we relayed that to Kyrie and he kind of laughed and was like, man, I had to adjust to these guys. Like I was, you know, I was the new guy and I wanted to 
kind of find out my way around here too. And I think he's doing that. And I think he's, I don't know, like you covered him in Cleveland much more than I did, of course, um, just from the finals and all that, all your other national stuff. But I get the sense he's like really happy right now. And of course they're winning 13 games in a row. There's going to be inevitably a losing streak and we'll see what happens then. But I just get the sense he's enjoying being the guy, but he's also just kind of enjoying this young group that he's with right now. Yeah. Look, I think, I think kind of an underrated part of why Kyrie wanted to leave Cleveland is that he really wanted to have his own team. Right. And you go back to the summer of 2014, he signs that max contract with the Cavs uh, to be the guy there. He signed, you know, July 1st, he signs the five-year extension right away. And, you know, they were, you know, kind of amazingly now looking, given what's happened, they, the Cavs had, you know, the play, the Dale Gibb was private plane ready to go get Gordon Hayward when uh, the LeBron was like, Hey, I want to meet with you guys. So like they were, they were at the time, like thinking, okay, we've got Deion waiters. We've got Kyrie. If we can get Gordon Hayward, like we've got this young core and we'll keep building from there. Right. And Kyrie was excited about that prospect at the time. And then of course, LeBron comes and then, you know, understandably it becomes LeBron's team immediately. And Kyrie is like, a secondary guy then obviously a all-star and a it wins a championship but he was a secondary guy and I think to your point I haven't been around the Celtics since uh the opener in Cleveland with you I'm looking forward to seeing them next week in Dallas but he um he does from the outside he just looks like a guy who has gotten what he what he was kind of always craving and like you said he does seem very comfortable and and happy with the whole arrangement, even like you said, even setting aside the fact that people are obviously going to be happy when um, they're off to a great start like this. If you had said before the year that Kyrie was not shooting the ball great and, you know, wasn't really doing anything otherworldly stat wise. And, you know, it kind of just was going along. You'd want, kind of wonder, well, are things like not going well there? And it, it seems like that couldn't be farther from the truth. Yeah. And also the thing with Kyrie, especially when he comes to a new place and a new fan base, as you've seen it, everyone's seen, he, even when he's only, and I say only, only scoring whatever, 20 points a game, he still two or three times a game does something that like basically no one else in the NBA can do. And it, it happened tonight in Brooklyn, like these plays that just like wow a crowd. And I think sometimes that almost gives you like a false perception of how he's playing. You're like, oh my gosh, like how did he just do that? Kyrie Irving is incredible. And those moments stick with people. So it's easier to overlook like, oh, wow, his numbers are actually down since last year. And, right. You know, but of course, they've also won 13 games in a row. If they were somehow in a bad losing streak, people might be analyzing that a little closely, more closely. Like, oh, why are they losing? Oh, look, Kyrie's numbers are down. But when you're winning, everything gets easier. Well, it is interesting, too. Like, I mean, I think I do think in looking at them, like as the season goes on, it, it is amazing. But I, I think I agree with you that. The, the thing that probably is going to be an impediment to them, you know, long-term is their offense, um, you know, rather than what I think a lot of us expected was their defense. Cause you, you look and like, they've got, you know, they've got Al Horford shooting 49% from three. They've got Jason Tatum shooting 48% from three. Um, you know, as a team, you know, Jalen Brown, even shooting 38% from three, like they've, they've got some guys that are really banging in shots and, and yeah, Kyrie is off to a bit of a slow start, but um you know, it does seem like with the fact that they've got so many guys that are kind of off to good starts and their offense still isn't that great. Um, it, it does seem like if something is going to maybe set them back when they do inevitably, like you said, kind of get into a funk and start losing some of these toss up games that they've been in, 
it does seem like it might be the fact that their offense could struggle to uh, produce enough points to, to kind of get them over the hump in some of those close games. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. Yeah, that could be, but also, I mean, Horford's three-point numbers and Tatum's, you have those are going to come down. Right. But aside, and, and they're just so absurdly high right now. But aside from those two, really, there's there's a lot of guys who have just been awful shooting. I mean, the Celtics field goal percentage, last I checked, was like 27th in the NBA as a team. Yeah, I'm going to look at them now. They're shooting 43% from as a team at 36 from three. And that, like you said, that 36 is boosted by, uh, you know, a couple guys going crazy. You know, yeah, got- Marcus Smart, he who did not get the contract extension, <laughs> has just had another brutal, like, I think the, at this the, point, the, 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 the Marcus, worst of his career so yeah, far. Yeah, the Marcus Smart, uh, the Marcus Smart has learned how to shoot theme from the preseason has uh it's every preseason Tim. <laughs> it, it drives me nuts i try to i try to police the other writers it happens every preseason. this is why i brought it up i know it's a pet peeve of yours oh man well it's like oh he like oh this year, this year, this year. oh he lost weight last year it was oh look at the new release point of his shot and, you know and he looks great in like some exhibition games and yeah then the lights come on and people start to guard him and he shoots 30 percent uh yeah. yeah the celtics are tw- are 26th in the nba in uh, in field goal percentage at, at 43%. Which is just incredible if you think about that, that a team has won 13 games in a row despite having the 26th best field goal percentage in the NBA. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And even their, <laughs> their three-point, like they're, they're like 20th in three-point percentage. They're, they're, they're not even getting up. They're, I think, 11th. It's kind of incredible just looking at it. They're, I mean... <laughs> I mean, the Rockets shooting 45 threes a game, I just looked, which is unbelievable. But That's amazing. <laughs> you, you look and, like, the Celtics are shooting 30 a game, and they're 11th. I mean, that's, yeah. kind, of, that's kind of where the NBA is now. But um, One thing we didn't talk about, like, we t- oh, yeah, kind of go goes hand-in-hand with defense, but their rebounding has been amazing. Oh, um, I did want to ask you about that. They, yeah, yeah. They've, they've been awful. Like, the last few years, that's been their biggest weakness. Al Horford's and... basically never been on a good rebounding team uh, in his career, and – uh, I'm looking at it now. Yeah, they're fourth in the league in overall rebounding. They're uh, they're four. They're also fourth in defensive rebounding, um, and they're in the top ten in offensive rebounding. Yeah, now Horford. Like, if you go back and look, like uh, I'm going to check now while we're talking. I, I think the, Cel- the the Celtics and the Hawks before that were like perennially the worst team in the league rebounding the ball when Al was on the team. Like last year, they were 27th. Uh, the year before, I I'm almost certain Atlanta the, the two years before was dead last or close. Uh, yeah, Atlanta was 24th the year before. Uh, what, what is, what is allowing them to be so good on the boards? Because that is it, is it that, does it kind of go back to the same thing with the length, um, across the board? Cause that, that is another thing that, you know, one of many things is, has been a kind of a common theme here that has really stumped me about the Celtics this year, that the rebounding thing has maybe been right up there among the most. Cause that, that yeah. is the last thing I would have expected that, that they were going to be a, uh, a good rebounding team this season. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a, a few things. Horford's been rebounding better than he ever has, but really Baines and Tice, the two guys I mentioned earlier, I don't have in front of their, their rebounding percentages are, are like 16, 17, 18, up in that range, which for the Celtics, like nobody was even sniffing around that <laughs> right. the last few years. And then also their guard, like Terry Rozier has been fantastic. I mean, he's really been a good rebounder since he got in the NBA, but their guards kind of fly in and chase down these rebounds. Um, and that's given them a big boost and, yeah, I mean, nobody the, – the, they were, like, awful rebounding last year. And I think, aside from Horford, their second, third, fourth, and fifth rebound, best or leading rebounders from last year are gone. Of course, when you take away the leading rebounders from a team that can't rebound, you don't know how, how much that means. Um, but they brought in these guys that, like, nobody was really expecting. And, and even with Baines and Tice, especially Tice, even when he doesn't get the rebound, he's a dude that's just always tipping it. Like, he's a guy like – there's someone around him. There's the opponent never just grabs it. If, if Tice isn't getting it, he's getting a fingertip on it and giving someone else a chance at it. And it seems like he'd be a real, a real annoying guy to play. Against. He is one of those typical kind of just energy guys off the bench. It's just a total nuisance that he comes in and he play like he's playing 14 minutes a game and he's just flying around and causing problems. And like you said, he's the kind of guy like when you're playing in a pickup game and there's this guy that's just like flying in to try to like, grab offensive rebounds or just like tip the ball out repeatedly and you're like what the hell is this guy's problem why can't yeah, you're you just like, like stop it <laughs> right like why can't you just why can't you just chill out a bit he does he does seem like exactly um exactly like like that kind of guy and they've even gotten like decent minutes from guys like Sammy Ojale who was a, I you know I, I think a lot of people thought a, a nice pick in the second round for them um Shane Larkin has been a nice a nice piece off the bench for them which I I did not expect um you know, I covered him in Brooklyn when he went overseas. I kind of thought that he just washed out. And then he was another guy the Celtics signed this summer. I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, uh, he's like their fourth quarter stopper now. Like the weirdest role. It happened again tonight. Like he hadn't played Yeah, can you game. talk about that? And I actually was going to – I actually meant to ask you because I know this isn't – you tweeted it, and I've seen a couple times. Like he's coming in the fourth quarter and like engineered some runs for them. Like what – Yeah. How, uh, how has that been playing out? <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. And, and Brad, like almost – Brad, the other – last time he did it before tonight, like apologized in – press conference like yeah you know i feel bad it's really kind of mean to me to put him in these situations and he literally sat sits like the first second and third quarter and then when brad doesn't like the defensive intensity he just puts in shane larkin he loves the way he pressures the ball and he thinks it just kind of gets into he gets into teams better than the other guards and just kind of can change the pace of the defense when things are are not quite as perfect as he wants them to be um and yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a small role. He doesn't play like huge minutes or anything, but he, he has the, I tweeted this out earlier. He has the best net rating on the team for a guy that's for anyone. Like, technically like Jabari Bird and Gordon Hayward, but they played. Right. If people like, who actually, game. people yeah, who people actually play. played multiple games, he's got the best net rating on the team, which is also absurd. Like Shane Larkin, like you said, a discarded NBA dude who played overseas in, in Europe last year. Um, so they've, they've had, that's the thing with this team is they've had a lot of, as good as they've been the past few years, you know, 53 wins, 48 wins, they've had like a lot of misses. They had all these draft picks. They had a lot of misses. Like they had like Jordan right, James, Mickey, James, James, Hunter, Young. James Young, like you can go on and on. Even like, even guys like Tyler Zeller, who, who they got, like just like guys they would bring in just didn't, they didn't pan out. Um, and they're, they're like, not even the, that's always going to happen. But like, you, you think like one of these random guys might hit like the Jordan Mickey guy type guy might hit they had, and they had other second round picks and everyone bought like ben ben till like they had all these second round picks where they just kind of threw a flyer but really the only really the only guy of all those guys that that really 
did has done anything for them up until this year was Rogier, who was a decent decent back. Yeah, he's a sixteenth pick, right? Yeah. But so this year, like I was talking to my coworker Gary Washburn about this recently, like everything Danny Ainge did hit. It's like playing the roulette table, and he's just <laughs> hit. I guess I should give him more credit than saying he's playing roulette. You'd like to think they're they're doing their due diligence, but like Aaron Baines, nobody thought much of that signing. He's been fantastic. Obviously, the the Fultz trade, like when that when they when they traded the number one pick for the three, like a lot of people in Boston were pretty upset because they're like, wait, oh, a minute. they they definitely like this Fultz guy. You're telling me he's like a going to be a 15 time All Star, and we have a chance to get him. You're going to trade him, like. Or they, trade this pick for the rights to get him. Why would you do that? They, bet, it looks like they bet really big on two moves this summer on Kyrie and on on Jason Tatum, uh, and against Fultz. And I think Fultz is going to be fine. The, the shoulder thing, I don't think long term is going to be a problem. But yeah. uh, you, like you said, you look so far. You combine those big bets they made with all the smaller ones they made, bringing in guys like Larkin and and Tice and. You mentioned uh, Ojale, like right, a, sec- a second-round second pick, round who's, who's a pick. been a real, real good defensive presence for them in, in spurts. Yeah, they've just they've hit on all these smaller moves, and of course, like you said, the the Kyrie ones when it gains attention. And there are people that were upset about that too. They're like, wait a minute, sure. give up the Nets pick and Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder, like just for this guy who like averaged fewer points than Isaiah Thomas already. Blah blah blah. Um, but but these smaller moves, every one of them has kind of hit so far. Yeah, and the other like guys, you like hope, the Rosiers, have gotten better. You hope to hit on like half of those moves, right? Like every team, every team, every summer takes some flyers and the hope is like, all right, if like a couple of these guys hit, then we're in really good shape. Like if, you know, if we get a couple of these minimum guys to play for us, like we'll be in good shape. And like you said, the Celtics have like, have made like six of them and probably six of them have hit so far, which, you know, which is what's going to happen when you're looking at a team that, that is 13 and two. And, you know, other than the Warriors is, uh, you know, is, is playing as well as anybody in the league. And let, let's, let's get to that a little bit. Obviously, uh, you know, we're talking early Wednesday morning, East Coast time now, but, you know, Thursday at the Garden, 8 p.m., you're going to have Warriors, Celtics. I'm sure all of New England is already losing its collective mind about that game. Um, you know, what, I, what are you going to be curious? Uh, what's the thing you're going to be most curious to see in that matchup? I mean, obviously – going up against Golden State is a tall task for anybody, and especially without Horf, uh, Gordon Hayward now. Um, but, but, like, what, what are you looking to see from this group as they go up against, you know, I think despite their record, is universally considered the best team in the league? I mean, right now, it's just, and it's not something we would expect from the Celtics. You knew the Warriors were going to be doing it on their part, but it's just this fantastic offense, like historic offense, really, against, like, a stunningly elite defense. And, you know, who can win out? And nobody nobody saw this coming from the Celtics, but right now they're a stunningly elite defense. And these they're just how those two sides can, like, battle and, and who would come out on top when, you know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant are a little bit different than what this Celtics defense has been seeing so far and how they can handle that and how they can handle also the spotlight when you throw out guys like Jason Tatum, you throw out guys like Jalen Brown. Like Kyrie was saying tonight, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. He's the only one that's, really familiar with playing these warriors you know having these finals battles with them yeah um and these young you know not even the young guys like even the guy like daniel tice is 25 you know like you know shemi ojale is obviously an older rookie but like these guys are just having have no experience in a game like this that the entire world would really be watching yeah and i uh, and i i think it's pretty safe to bet that uh unlike a team like the Cavs, which kind of like you think like last night in new york you thought they were going to show up and really play well and they didn't until the fourth quarter like 
Golden State is going to be motivated to win this game. I mean, they see everybody talking about how great the Celtics are. I'm sure they're going to hear for two days. They're going to get questions about, oh, what what do you think of Boston's defense? Like, how are they going to slow you guys down? And, you know, those guys are looking for ways to be motivated. And they're rolling in. They've won. You know, they I think they, in crunch time, gave up some points yesterday to only win by 10. But they've won seven in a row themselves. Uh, they After kind of a slow start, they're battering people around. Um so yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it will be fascinating to see if, uh, if if this defense can hold up against what is you know pretty clear. You know what I think right now is considered. I think if they have this same efficiency the rest of the season, that the Warriors would have their greatest offense of all time. Uh, so it it will be fascinating to see how that holds up. But the one thing you know, the one thing that does work in Boston's favor, or at least you know, is a is something that they have it to their at, at their disposal that a lot of teams don't is the fact that they have. 19 of these guys that are all somewhere between six, seven and six, nine, that they could just throw at guys like Durant and clay and even Steph Curry and, uh, and, and Draymond green. And they, they just have a kind of waves of bodies. They could chuck at those guys that a lot of other teams don't, uh, to try to go up against them. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what they're going to do. I mean, you're going to, I mean, you've already seen it, but you're going to see like switching on everything guys out there, you know, with these versatile groups that, the problem is you can be like as versatile as you want, but against the Warriors, like sometimes it just doesn't do any good. Like, like oh yeah, great. Like I'm switching on this. Oh wait, that's Kevin Durant. You know. Oh wait, that's Steph Curry. Like the effectiveness of it can get neutralized so quickly. Um, and I'm curious to see, like you said, how how it works with not only the, like the Celtics team that's shown good defense, but a team that like has zero experience in the in these situations. Like right now, their biggest win, I guess, is like. I don't know, at the Thunder probably. You no, know, that like, was a big win. Coming national TV, come back from an 18-point halftime deficit. I mean, that that was the game. Then when they came back and won that game, I was like, all right, like this this is more than just like a fun little streak over some The Thunder games. lost like five games after that, you know? Like, yeah, and they've lost some games in crunch time. They're struggling. But still, I mean, for a, like you said, for a young team that hasn't done a lot of winning, that was a big win. Um, yeah. And, and it, I, I personally, I mean, I, it's kind of safe to say this. I expect the Warriors to blow them out. Uh, generally when the Warriors are motivated for games, they win by a lot of points and they've had two days off. Steph Curry should be healthy. Uh, you know, so my guess is they will probably win by 20, but you know, that crowd in Boston is going to be fired up. The Celtics have always managed to play them tough. Uh, you know, it is a different group now, but Stevens is a great coach. It, it should be a really fun game. I'm glad there's only two games on. I'll be very excited to sit down and, and watch the game from start to finish. Yeah, Why are you really, not really going check to it out? I would love to, but it's uh, it's very far away <laughs> from where I am, and it uh, it just was it just was tough to to make the make the flight work to get out there and check it out. But oh, I gotta I, ask uh, you this one, Tim. Yeah, like, sure. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this happens. I just never see it happening. I'm not sure if you got the release, but apparently Draymond Green on game day is like giving a speech at Harvard. Did you see this? No. <laughs> yeah. Really? I've gotten two press releases about it today. I don't know if it's supposed to be secret or something. I, I hope mean, not. I, well, not yeah. anymore. What, what, what is it? Did, it's at the Harvard. Yeah, I can try to find it on my computer here, but it's like at the Harvard Kennedy School like of Government, and it's on game day at like two o'clock, like on game day, um, which I've never, I've never, like, you know, guys do all these kind of community events yeah. and things, but not usually like a few hours before a game I'm i have to... i have uh i have i have never 
I've never here, I got heard it right of something here. like that. Quick, please, please. Rundown. Yes, <laughs> please do. I apologize to the Institute of Politics if I'm not supposed to give this information out. Hey, I, I, listen, it, it, it's public knowledge, I think, at this point. Yeah. The Harvard Kennedy Institute of Politics will host NBA champion Draymond Green for discussion about athletes as leaders from 1 to 2 p.m. on Thursday, November 16th. That is amazing. Yeah. And if anyone's going to do that, it's Draymond. Like, you know, like, which I actually kind of love about him. Oh, I, I would like to see the speech. I, it will be tremendous. I mean, he, yeah. he will be captivating. But yeah, like, I mean. And that's in Cambridge. Like, like I, I'm not familiar with Boston, but driving from like Cambridge to downtown, like around, I don't know, 2.30 or 3 on a work day isn't, isn't like the He'll easiest. be in the car for a while. <laughs> he'll be in the car for a while. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I had, uh, I had no idea. I had not been told anything. I'm not a, I'm not an esteemed writer for the Boston Globe. So <laughs> that's probably why, but, uh, yeah, that, that is, that is something. And that, that'll be an interesting wrinkle. Now, uh, now that we've, now that we've discussed Draymond's uh, speech, which I plan to try to find out more about tomorrow, uh, I, one, one last thing before we go, I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but, um, you know, if, if this does start to go, I mean, and they're not going to obviously be on a 75 way pace all season, but uh, when this does start to go sideways or like, wh- what, what do you think the biggest thing that will trip these guys up will be when, when they do start to, to have some struggles? Yeah, it's hard to say. Like they just have so many, so many guys who are contributing and kind of, we said, or we said earlier, like playing almost at their peak, like guys, like we never saw coming. Um, I, I don't know in the East, like, I just don't see them really stumbling. Like for them, there's just so many bad teams. Like even if they hit a hiccup, I just don't see it lasting. Um, you know, like obviously there's like the Toronto's and the Washington's, but I just don't, I don't see this team as assembled. Like of course they could have more injuries, but you know, we saw Al Horford miss two games with a concussion. We essentially saw Kyrie miss two games with a fractured face and they, they won, won those anyway. games too. Right. Yeah. You know, Gordon Hayward, has been out since the opening minutes of the opener and they're winning without him. Yep. Like I, I, I just don't see like big road bumps. Like, sure. You're right. Of course they're not going to win 70 games and they'll have some quiet periods and they'll maybe go out West and hit a rut. And you know, one thing like, like Jason Tatum, whenever people ask him about the adjustment, he talks about like the travel and the sleep. So I could see maybe some of these young guys hitting like a bit of a wall at some point from that. Um, but I, I don't, I just don't see barring, bigger injuries like like just like a, a long sustained rut with this team all right so let me put you on the spot then i, I mean i i would tend to think at this point they're they're going to finish the, the season with the best record in the east um what do you think their win total is at the end of the season oh that's a good question um uh, literally off the top of my head i'll say 58 games yeah i was gonna i was gonna see if you were gonna get to 60 i mean if if because if you don't if you don't think they're gonna have any sustained lulls then i mean even if they're just like go back to playing like solidly. I mean, they're, they're, it's going to be hard for them not to win that many games at this point, given, yeah. given the, given the start they're off to, if they play, you know, 5,500 ball the rest of the season, they're going to be, they're going to be right on pace to probably win, you know, high fifties. Yeah. I mean, they could, it wouldn't stop like, it wouldn't stop me if they won like 62, 63 after that, I would be pretty surprised if, you know, whatever, 65, 66 wins. I wouldn't, that would be a stunner even given how well they're playing now yeah. and how bad the East is. Cause they're but, still, like we said earlier, like they could have easily lost like three games during this streak. And if the ball bounces a couple other ways and they're whatever, like 11 and five right now, you know, we're probably not having the conversation as much, but they did, you know, they, they did bounce this way. And they all that matters. Well and they, 
Yeah, exactly. No, it's and, it, and that'll be a that'll be a fun game on uh, on Thursday. I wish I'd be there with you for it, but it'll be fun to watch. So thanks, uh, thanks for staying up late and doing this, man. I appreciate it. Uh, if before you go, let people know where they can they can find you on the interwebs, and uh, if you've got anything uh, good coming up here, you want them to check out on uh, at the Globe. Yeah, I mean, I just always say my name, and then I, I can't spell it anyway. It's at Adam Himmelsbach, <laughs> but feel free to follow me. Well, actually, la- last thing, I still have this press release open. It's going to be live streamed on Facebook, so you can totally watch it. I, I, uh, I'm going to be, I think, on a, on a plane at that point, and I will, I will check it out because that, yeah. uh, that is amazing. I mean, <laughs> Draymond Green... Draymond Green never disappoints, and that uh, that's the latest that's the latest proof of that. The fact that on the day of, you know, one of the biggest games of the season to this point, he's going to be giving an hour long speech at Harvard is amazing. In the afternoon too, it's not even like it's like nine. Right. Well, I guess they probably have shoot around. So if they have shoot around, let's do the math here. Like, so if shoot around is typically like whatever ten or eleven a.m. Yeah, they'll be able to probably they shoot around at the Garden at ten. Yeah, and then then sprint out to. Harvard, get there by get there by one, spend an hour or so there, then ship right right back to the arena basically. It's incredible. It's <laughs> just incredible. And and then he'll probably have a triple double in the game because yeah. there's just nobody like him. No, that'll be uh that'll be great. Well it sounds like you have to get to Cambridge on Thursday also. No, I won't be there. No. I'll be <laughs> I'll be uh maybe I'll Facebook stream it with you. Yeah. No, it'll be uh that'll be good. So, all right, man. Thank thanks again for doing this and I'm looking forward to seeing you down the road. All right, man, talk to you later. Thanks again to Adam for coming on the podcast. Appreciate him staying up late and doing it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I think it was a fun conversation. You can find my work on Twitter, at Tim Bontemps. You can find me on Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find my work in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go find the podcast wherever you can get it on the web, either Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, TuneIn, Radio Public, iHeartRadio. Go give us a five-star rating and review. Really helps the podcast out a lot if you do. Thank you to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. They are a fun, fun listen. A lot of people have complimented the music on the pod. Hopefully you guys will support them and check it out. Go check out some of our other podcasts, like Constitutional, Can You Do That, the Fantasy Football Beat. You can find all of them on our website at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts. A bunch of great ones. You should definitely check them out. Thanks again to Adam for coming on. Uh, But with that, we'll be back later in the week, uh, maybe one or two more podcasts, depending on how the week goes. But have a couple guests in mind. Hopefully they come through here in the next couple days. But uh, until next time, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon.